0: morning, good evening, good afternoon. This is Megashane, your podcast for everything gay and geek from a queer Black perspective. We are back in 2024. I'm Nick. I am Victor. And we are joined by a very special guest. Today we have uh, uh, Eisner-nominated writer and illustrator Dave Baker joining us. You may know him from his previous works, which include Everyone is Tulip, The Fuck Off Squad, which happens to be, I, I like that name, <laughs> and Night Hunters. He's also co wrote uh, a feature film, Alien Warfare, which is available for streaming on Netflix. And he's here to discuss his new graphic novel, Mary Tyler Moorhawk, which is debuting in February. Dave, welcome to Megachain.
1: Thank you for having me. Nice to nice to be here, uh, and uh, I appreciate the good vibes, man. I appreciate the good vibes.
0: Yeah, we are very laid back here, except when it comes to gym. Then we get a little bit animated, or when it comes to politics. I know Victor can get a little animated, but you know it's laid back here, so we are very much happy you are here with us to talk about your new novel. But before we get into that, let's get into how we were wrapping up 2023 so victor how was the holidays how was the beginning of january which feels like it's been going on since the war of 1812 um what's new in california what's going on
2: uh nice countdown to the new year we kind of chilled here um not too much going on it wasn't too crazy but it rained pretty much so i feel like it's been raining so much in january but i feel like that's been happening several years january is a rainy month um and also it's a very high allergy month so if you have you know sinus issues whatever you were attacked um and that was me but it's been pretty good so far you know, it's kind of I feel like January kind of came and went. Like I feel like it came and now it's over. And so uh, we're about to go into February, we're about to go into full Aquarius month. Um, that's my time. And yeah, getting ready because con season is pretty much like it's out there, it's attacking us. Um mm-hmm. uh, ready for that. But in all, I am happy to be alive. Getting ready for an election year,
0: which is going to drive me crazy, but. I am going to be high this entire fucking election cycle. (laughs) My fucking God. All
2: ready. I'm optimistic because I feel like we're going through what we went through when Obama ran against uh, Romney. So where everybody was so like, oh my God, he's losing. And then when election night happened, it was literally over. It was like, okay, Mm -hmm. I'm I feel
1: like that's you, don't think, you don't think Nikki Haley is going to pull it out? You don't think Nikki Haley is going to surge? <laughs> you don't think she's going to take I South think, Carolina? I actually, <laughs> I
2: actually think she she's going to... She, she may surprise us. Uh, just because I feel like they're throwing money her way now. I think she may be what Hillary was to Bernie in 2016. That whole, like, I'm going to take enough away from you until we get to the the convention. That's that's what I kind of see, but I can be wrong and I'll own all of that. But at the end I I kind of feel like we're a lot of this is just hyped up just to be like and here's another Biden presidency. So, and if that's the case it is what it is. But let's, you know, I'm hoping for the best because I just want to keep us alive. <laughs> another four years. Give me another four years of life, please where it's boring. That's all I want. Uh, and that,
0: yeah, that's pretty much it. So that's how I feel. Nick, how how about you? Uh, look, 2024 ended kind of rocky for me. I'm sorry. Hey, wait, wait. I mean, 2023, damn. You I'm already know, at the end know, of the, year. the <laughs> year. I'm like, dude, the fuck this year? Let's go. Uh, no, 2023 ended really rocky for me, um, given all of the uh, mental issues I was dealing with. But with therapy that helped. Um, I'm just focused on not worrying about things that are out of my control. Um, And I felt like last year I had did a lot. Like, you know, I finished my master's program. I got this job with the government. You know, I saw Miss Queen Bee, Beyonce. All of these accomplishments that I did really helped um, my self confidence, as far as I know, I knew I can accomplish a lot of things, and you know, writing them down also helped, which I know I'm going to do again this year. Mm-hmm. But um, as of right now, um, I'm just trying to get through each day, because some days are better better than others. Um, other than that, just playing too much video games. Drinking too much wine, eating too many edibles, and listening too much. You know, typical shit. <laughs> I
1: don't know, man. You say that you say that with a down intonation. That sounds pretty good to me. That's like a good life. <laughs> i mean, I, don't know I, what keep, you- I
0: keep my drama to a minimum. I do not like a lot of unnecessary bullshit. Um, so if I can. You know, if I just... I like being by myself.
1: What uh, what games have you been playing?
0: <sighs> oh, Dave, I'm in this weird parallel between going back from Overwatch to Apex. And I can't mm. like, break this cycle. And mm. I don't even like shooters. But I'm like a crackhead with these two games. <laughs> and I can't, like... <laughs> I'm like God, I can't get out of it. I'm like, oh, I'll get to uh I'll play a new game. Five minutes later, oh that fix is coming in. I need my fix. I need my fix. Uh and I go to Overwatch and I'll spend like the whole fucking day on it. And I'm like, I hate myself for it <laughs> because it's just I have so many other games to play. Right.
1: Um, but I have kind you- of broken you don't give off the, the the shooter vibe, like usually. You know, really? you no. Know, I mean, maybe we just run in different circles. But the the like, there's a specific type of dude who's into shooters, and they're usually a specific model of human. If I'm gonna be polite, <laughs> and I usually don't want to hang out with them. But every once in a while, you know, somebody that breaks the mold.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I do. Like yesterday, I spent. The entire day on Overwatch, and I'm like, I look back, I look up, and it's like one o'clock in the morning, and I'm still on this game, still high as hell, drinking whiskey, and I'm like, I need to go to bed. I need, I got other things. Yeah, because you texted, I was like, somebody. <laughs> I was like, because
2: I know it's it's
0: it's it like, like two o'clock when I texted you. Yeah, I was like, like, yeah, I was high as hell too, um, and I think I, another tangent. Dave, we do this a lot. We do a lot of uh, multiple tangents. I think I play better when I'm under the influence of an edible on shooters, which is weird because your reaction time when you're high tends to be slower. But that's neither here nor there. I have been um, trying to get into Sea of Stars, which is like a um, a RPG, a turn-based that reminds me of old school games, and I like it for what it is. It's a break, and it, it doesn't, it's not overwhelming. It's laid back, and it's cute so far. Um, but other than that, I'm nothing really is going on. Hey, how about you? How was uh your 2023 and healthier 2024 starting so far?
1: Good, you know. I mean, it's been a lot of uh promo stuff. It's been a lot of me. Writing interviews and doing podcasts and everything to try and, you know, whenever you're coming out with a book, it's a little weird because you're kind of it's this kind of like you're you spend like two or three months doing things. So in two or three months, you give the best opportunity for your work to kind of, you know, maybe maybe catch a little bit of uh, trade winds, maybe. Um, So it's just been a lot of that stuff, which is fun. It's great, but uh, very busy, very lots of typing late in the night. Um, you know, nothing too, nothing too crazy. I don't know. I'm pretty boring too. I, you know, I just hang out, make comics, nothing. I <laughs> Honestly, I wish I, I wish I could play video games. Like I used to be like when I was younger, I was really, really into games and comics and writing stuff. It just takes making anything. It just takes so long that you, you're going to have to choose. I mean, or at least mm-hmm. I, I do. I don't, I, some people might be better with time management than me. Uh, but you know, there was, there was a delineating point where it was like, okay, am I going to choose to make stuff or am I going to play Vigi games? And there's Mm -hmm. a part of my soul that I've never gotten back, but you know, (laughs) it's what it is.
2: Right. Yeah. What you're saying about creating stuff is very true. I know I'm, I'm, I'm creating stuff as well. I'm like working on a novel, somewhat finished i finished up a, a horror script like i don't know why i'm doing so many things i'm like i think like i yeah. need to do more stuff um and it's funny as i think about my novel i went from third person to first person to like really like becoming this first person person the character and now go jumping into going back to an old script i wrote for class years ago to like strengthen it up again like i'm feel it's it's weird how much you know that creative bug will bite you you just have to just go you have to just yeah. um uh, and luckily i don't play video games so that's no that's no other distractions but i get what you're saying about when you know when you have to make that time to like okay today we're writing the script two hours from now okay now i need to go and focus on this this book and yeah these, so crazy world crazy world
1: it is what it is man it is what it is we all have to make choices right and Sometimes those choices are, fuck it, let's eat edibles and shoot digital avatars (laughs) at two (laughs) in the morning, right? Right. And that
2: that is good. Well, we have Nick here. We have Nick here. We also have Dave here. We have us all here to kind of talk about Dave's new work that we're going to be talking about and seeing, and everybody's going to be really diving into um, which is Mary Tyler Moorhawk, and y'all I mean I don't want to spoil none of this but it is an amazing ride I'm still like immersed in it like I'm gonna be thinking about this for a while and we're here to you. talk about that but I really want to we're gonna start off with our interview with you with just t- I want to know where did this come from where did this come from why and the title i love the title where did all this come from the title the characters where did this come from in your multi-talented mind <laughs>
1: uh so mary tyler moorhawk is i've been working on it for probably about like five years um mm-hmm. partly because I sold two other books while in the middle of working on it. So I'll be working on it and then have to set it aside to write something else for another artist or, you know, I did a Star Trek graphic novel. So I was writing that and, you know, you know, you know how it is. It's the the creative freelance lifestyle where things come up and then you go, "Okay, I'm going to put the personal project aside while I'm doing X or Y. So it's not like I was every day working on it, but, you know, it's like 300 pages. So it wasn't not every day. Um the book is kind of about it's split into two halves. I and mean, the first half is a comic book that is kind of a retro futurist, kind of 1960s-esque uh action-adventure comic about a family of globe-trotting super scientists. Um the protagonist of which, protagonist of which is called Mary Tyler Mohawk, And her mother uh started this um kind of super science think tank. Uh, called the Moorhawk Institute for Increasing Tomorrows. And we follow them on this adventure as they try and stop an apocalypse from happening when a villain from their past kind of shows up from an alternate timeline. And there, the other half of the book is a novel that takes place 100 years in the future that follows a journalist named Dave Baker who's obsessed with a TV show that was adapted from Mary Tyler Moorhawk's comics that only lasted for nine episodes. And then he figures out that the person who created the TV show was also named Dave Baker. And this sends him off on a weird kind of existential quest to find this reclusive artist and interview them and see a, why the TV show got canceled and B are there more comics? Cause there's this like urban legend that this person created the TV show based off of their comics. And then it got canceled. Like, basically broke them. And then they just like went off onto a farm somewhere and made comics for the rest of their life that no one has ever seen. Um, So I don't think it's, I don't think it will take a lot of imagination to, I mean, well, is it a weird high concept for a book? Yeah, sure. It's very strange, but also all art is autobiographical. I don't think it's that crazy to be like, Oh, he's doing like a weird metatextual thing. And like, look, it's him working out the fears of working in a creative industry where creators aren't, usually not taken care of well um yeah so the the book kind of started with that kind of like root uh emotional idea of you know making something about the experience of making something and how you can get lost in it and how um it, without strong emotional tethers to the real world sometimes these things they can eat you alive and you can you know feel like you're in a prison of your own making um and uh Also, I love Johnny Quest and Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys. So I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, and you really get that in the story. Even when you look at Mary's outfit, it's very like Johnny Quest. Like I was like, I really see it. But I love the Afro puffs, like the way it just kind of come across. The the mothers, you know, the step, the issue with the, it's just so much. And I I don't even want to like just keep i don't want to give out anything i want everybody
1: no but i'm I'm glad that you i'm glad that you called out the afro puffs because to me the thing that i really like about her character design so like the archetype of those kind of young boy girl adventurer types they're always kind of selling the same thing like all the Stratemeyer syndicate characters like nancy drew trixie belden hardy boys whatever they're always selling that like children can see the truth of reality and adults are blind to it. You know, all of the plots are always like, there's a guy down the lane and he's doing a weird land grab thing. And like Frank and Joe Hardy are the only ones that can figure it out. And they go to the adults and the adults are always like, no, that's George. I've known him forever. And that idea that like goodness is inherent in the innocence of childhood, childhood, and that children innately have the ability to perceive evil is uh something that's really compelling to me and that idea is everywhere in those books like all of the covers painted by rudy nappy are like they're just people looking like it shouldn't be compelling it's like a nine-year-old like staring but When you're that age, it has a very evocative emotional connection because you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. I don't really have any agency as a small child other than observation and observation is my true power. And all of those that arc those archetypes in that genre, they're always good, right? They're, and they're not good because they are choosing to do the right thing when it's difficult, which is also an equally interesting character dynamic they are just good because that's how they are innately. And I wanted to represent that with um, with Mary specifically because you know, th- humans are predisposed to love circles, right? We are drawn to circular things because we have a genetic encoding that we want to take care of our young when they're small and he- human heads are outsized when they're born. So children have a circular look, which is why we have character design tropes in animation where people have large eyes and big heads and so on and so forth. And so for MTMH specifically, I wanted to try and find a way to communicate subtextually that she's inherently good. And that's by having the circular circular designs for her head and for her Afro puffs, um, A, because we're drawn to that and B, because there's nowhere to hide in a circle. There's no corners. Right. That's the reason that the, you know, Oval Office is is round. They It's an existential statement on the fact that the president can't hide from the people. Most of them have, but whatever, it's fine. We don't, we don't need to get into that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spiritually, that's an interesting idea. And I like the symbolism of that. Um, And uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I, I love those archetypes of action adventure, teen protagonists or preteen protagonists. Um, And uh, I think there's, you know, I think it's pretty apparent in the book that I'm, I'm obsessed with these things. (laughs) It's a pretty dense thing.
2: Yeah. I mean, I can go on and on, but it's just looking at it and feeling it, it does remind me of when I used to read Nancy Drew, Hardy Boys, Encyclopedia Brown can never say that. Um, And even Choose Your Own Adventure. It was giving me all that again. Yeah, totally. Um, And I even love just the blending of just different types of characters. Like you went from science mythology, fantasy, dip, like it was just so much. And I think the way you did this is kind of grabbing that that childhood feeling of when you was reading books and being transported in different worlds and seeing different things that you just didn't think about. And those of us who love comics, that was just the bliss we were living in from the age of what, 10 all the way up to 18. It was that time of like, my God. So Yeah. yeah. I really felt like I was getting that from just what I was reading, just from what I was seeing. So I was just so curious to know how you were able to put all that into the Yeah. Movie. I mean,
1: you know, I think that there's a component of it too. That's like, you know, the there's a narrative mechanic in the book where there's like footnotes and the, the, it's both in the comic stuff and in the prose. Um, and I, I wanted to make a book that felt like something that was from another time or another place, both like jokingly and literally. Right. So there's all of these references to this future that hasn't happened and all this like weird, you know, very in-depth political, you know, stuff that's been fictionalized, obviously, Um, or maybe it's not fictional. Who can say? Uh, (laughs) And, and then there's also like, you know, the, the trope or the, the tradition in, in superhero comics or corporately controlled comics where it's, because they're trying to milk as much money out of it as possible, there's 15 Batman titles and 20 Superman titles and 10 Spider-Man titles, and at times when the speculator market bubble either you know is at a tight or crashes, they have a tradition of editor's notes where they're telling you, oh, if you want to know more about this supporting character that showed up in this issue, go read issue 29 of this other book, and you know there's kind of like a mechanic like that in my book where. You're reading these issues of Mary Tyler Moorhawk where MTMH and Cutie Boy and all the other characters are going around, but nobody usually is meeting each other for the first time. There, this is very distracting. That there's a cat there. I just want to hang out with the cat now. Uh, um, Sorry about that. (laughs) We have an extra special guest, Bebo, just joined us. What's What's your cat's name? This is uh. His name is Bebo. Love it, love it. He looks very chill. Look at that dude. Fucking asshole.
2: (laughs) Uh, Uh, I wanted to quickly say, and then I'll let Nick um, go through, uh, ask a question or what have you. Well, I wanted to quickly say that I do appreciate that you have those footnotes because it does remind me of the days uh, like uh, Chris Claremont. Like he would always put like, I love the way he would describe things, but also to say, like, you have to go back to this issue to understand what happens. And you're right. I, I'm, you know, it's so many, like when they have like a, a a battle between two super groups, it's like six books to it versus the days way back in the day, it'll be two, two episodes. Like it'll be two issues and that was it. And then you just go about your way. I love that you have those footnotes to kind of talk about like what this group was and what they were before, but now what, why they're this now. And that was like, this is, I kind of miss this. I really miss that at age of storyteller when it comes to comics. So thank you for doing that. Cause I was like, yeah. I yeah.
1: Like- I mean, I, I love, I love density and stuff. You know, part of the reason why the book is a little so, you know, dense is because uh, my partner, Nicole goo and I got nominated for a, uh got nominated for an Eisner for everyone is Tulip, which was great. And, You know, it was so nice. Everybody would come up to us at conventions and be like, oh, we loved the book. It was so great. I read it in 15 minutes. And, like, I understand that the note behind the note is, like, it was easy to read, it was pleasurable, and I enjoyed it, and you guys told the story well, and so I could move through it quickly. Emotionally, though... You spent four years, three years, two years on these things. And it doesn't Mm -hmm. feel good when it's like you read it in 15 minutes. So I really wanted to make something that was going to be a meal, you know, that you you would be able to revisit and that you wouldn't be able to just read in one sitting. Um, I wanted to make something that felt in the same way that, you know when you were a younger person and you found a random issue of some book and you didn't really have any context for what was happening, but it was compelling and it was almost kind of like its own weird call to adventure. But at the same time, you were like puzzled by a lot of it. Um, And you weren't initially, you were like, I don't know if I like this. And then the more you read it, the more you're like, Oh no, I actually do like this. Mm -hmm. Um, And also specifically, I, I'm very interested in, um, uh, this novelist named David Foster Wallace. He wrote a bunch of essays, primarily the ones that influenced my book or es- these two essays. Um, supposedly fun, supposedly fun thing I'll never do again and consider the lobster. And he uses footnotes in this very interesting way where he'll be describing almost kind of like a clinical or um, experiential thing. And then there will be these strange digressions to um random topics that only tangentially relate to the thing that he's writing about. Um, or maybe there'll be a joke, or maybe there'll be like a dictionary or encyclopedia definition of something that he thinks is worth including. And I really liked that idea that you could have the the picture plane of prose fragmented and separated in the same way that comics fragments and separates images. Um, and that made me really excited about, oh, what what would happen if you used that you know, kind of David Foster Wallace approach to fragmenting time and space on the page in a comic book. And then also, you know, there's a novel, it's a novel and a comic. So the novel stuff is also me writing stuff kind of influenced by his writing style. I I really like, and another novelist named Mark Danielewski. Um, I like his work as well.
0: All right. Wow. So how is Mary Tyler Moorhawk different from any of your previous work, different and or similar?
1: I would say it's, I would say it's different in that um, I really like formalism. You know, I'm a, I'm, I really love the form of comics and um, all of my books have some version of a formalist mechanic that I'm trying to get to work or, experimenting with but i think this might be the least commercial <laughs> of <all> my books. <laughs> you know i think it's i think it's it it asks a lot of the reader um which is what i set out to do and i'm very honored that chris staros at top shelf saw that and was like you're trying to do a weird literary thing let's let's see what happens um and that either that might work or it might be a huge failure. I don't know. I'm too close to it to know these things anymore. Um, But I think that it is, uh, I think that it is similar in that there are various themes that show up in a bunch of my work that I don't think I should necessarily point out because it's not my place to, but they are a hundred percent here in this book. Um, And I, uh, you know, I think that's a fear of a lot of writers is that you like your the themes that you're interested in excavating become a one trick pony Uh, and fingers crossed. I haven't done that. Who can say?
2: (laughs) Now, as I mentioned earlier, the art is amazing. The art is amazing. Um, I noticed that you use like particular like two colors throughout this book. Can you talk about what was the, you know, what was behind that? What was the reason behind these particular colors, but also using, like, the particular panels, like, to format, and then, like, you know, you give us, a, you know, splash pages. Ah, can't talk today. Splash pages, but you're giving us a different kind of format when it comes to this. Can you talk a little bit more about, like, the color and the illustrations and yeah. what's that energy and and the reason behind a lot of that?
1: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the majority of the comics stuff is all nine panel grids.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, that was a decision largely based out of theme uh, because the number nine plays a big role in the book. There were nine episodes of the TV show, nine panel grids or something that are associated with the history of comics. Um, there's nine chapters in the book. Um the character at one point was nine years old. Now it's a little nebulous. She seems older than nine, but who knows? Um, the the reason that I, the main reason why it's nine panel grids is because my initial joke to myself was that the old man Dave Baker in the future segments would just be Steve Ditko. Um, like I, I wrote letters to Steve Ditko. I have them. We exchanged letters, and I was like, "Oh, it'd be funny if I just like put those in the book, but then just change Steve Ditko to my name." Uh, I didn't ultimately end up doing that, um, but at one point that was the plan. Um, and he did a lot of his primary work in the nine panel grid form. Um, so I wanted to do that as a kind of homage and both because it creates a sense of kind of claustrophobia in the page. And also there's there's a rhythm to that nine panels that I think is really interesting and not easy to do. Um, so it was a personal challenge. Um, and also... I just like the way nine panel grid pages look, you know? I think they're very beautiful. Uh I like the rhythm of the three tiers and the three columns. Um uh the the color choice of only having one color in the comics sections uh was because I didn't want to have to do full color. I didn't want to I didn't want to spend two years coloring this thing. <laughs> I it just it just didn't want to do that um and in fact it's a good thing i did that because i fucked up my right hand like around the time that i finished drawing and so i had to color probably 80 percent of the comic stuff with my left hand um yeah it was not ideal not ideal um but i think worth it in the end uh and the uh the credits pages the kind of cast photo pages that you're referencing um, I'm a big fan of CC Beck, uh, the um co-creator of Captain Marvel um not a big fan of his virulent racism that that stuff not so cool uh but I like the way that he draws characters with like circle eyes and I like the way he draws Billy Batson versus Captain Marvel where Captain Marvel's like squinting all the time for some reason which is really cute and charming to me um because like you know the the idea of Captain Marvel is it's a wish fulfillment thing being sold to kids of like, look, you can be an adult and being a, an adult is not scary. And so when you're a child, you're innocent, again, depicted with circle eyes because circles are, represent innocence and also because you can't hide from anything and circles intake everything. There's no filter. Whereas when uh, he turns into the adult Captain Marvel, his eyes are like these weird little squinty half lines, which represent like even though he's perceiving less because he's an adult, he's happy and it's safe and look at the fun and power that you as a seven year old in 1950, whatever, uh, can experience. And I think that that is a not insignificant reason why Captain Marvel became more popular than Superman and why DC sued them out of existence. Um, and, um, I, uh, I, so I, I was, here's a very famous cast photo image that, C.C. Beck made of all the Marvel family people like standing in a row. Uh, and I was like, oh, I should do one of those. Like I should have a f- cast photo, family portrait, whatever, of all of the cast members. And then I realized there's only really like five central cast members. You know, it's like Rosemary, Morhawk, Cho, Roxy, Racer, Cutie Boy, and MTMH. That's kind of it, really, in terms of the core group. Yeah. Uh, and then I was like, oh, it'd be funny if I just put a bunch of other people in there. So every time the cast photos show up throughout the book, it's always different people that are maybe in the book, maybe not in the book Um, with more of those footnotes with fake backstories for all of them, like you referenced before.
2: Uh, but I love that. I love that when you go to a new chapter, you saw that it was something about like they're coming the way it was like illustrated was, like they're coming, something is coming. And I like yeah. that. I was really drawn into the characters, the names of the characters, which does remind me of like a lot of the older comics. They always had those interesting names for those characters. And I was like, okay, we are really going on a journey. It's not just, you know, in the mainstream comics, it's like you got Doom and you have Apocalypse and then maybe Thanos. You had like, here's all of these people coming in and why the stakes are so high. So I really liked that because it was... Like, I don't know what's happening next. Here comes, oh, who who's this person? Who's that person? Who's, you know, is this so much that was like, this is storytelling. I mean, I can't really, I sound crazy, but I can't rave enough about how this was like a nice, just sweep of something new to read. Mm-hmm. It. Thank you. Thank so you.
0: How- uh, yeah, oh, go I, yeah, I, oh, go ahead. oh sorry. I'm sorry, go for it. I was just gonna uh, say I'm really gagged about how you talked about circles mm. as far as because I like the like thinking about it it's just wow I never made that correlation and because I'm not in the creative space like comic books it's just that much more mind-blowing and like mm. talking about uh Captain Marvel, like, now I see it, like, how his eyes are so wide, and then versus when he uh, shazams into Captain Marvel, how his eyes are, like, he's squinting, and that I'm just, I'm still like, oh, that that makes so much sense to me.
1: It's, the thing that's so interesting about it to me is, like, every cartoonist has their version of those things, and some of them, I think, are like they they consciously are doing it and sometimes it's subconscious you know and i think it's an immense responsibility frankly to to really try and put work out there that is delineated and conscious and i think there's positive versions of unconscious creativity and there's also very negative versions of it that i think can be very damaging and You know, I alluded to it before C.C. Beck was like a virulent racist. Like he like was not a good person. And that comes with a lot of creative people. We're all flawed. We're all products of our environment and some of us rise above them and some of us sink to our baser fears and instincts. Um, One of the people I love, you know, their work the most is Hergé, the creator of Tintin, and he is a perfect example of somebody who comes from a deeply racist cultural DNA. Um, you know, Tintin was first published in uh, a Catholic newspaper that was, like, just rampantly anti-Semitic and anti-Black and anti-everything. And, you know, his second book was Tintin in the Congo because Congo was a colonialized state tethered to Belgium. And it's so racist. It is so incredibly racist. And there's a... beautiful story where he said in the newspaper oh my next book's gonna be take place in china it's gonna be really cool you know we're gonna go to the orient in air quotes and he received a letter from a a chinese art student uh in belgium who's studying to be a sculptor in belgium and this art student like basically went to his house and explained to him like look man the shit you've been doing is kind of racist but your work (laughs) is your work is very important. It gets seen by people. It's an easy way to spread cultural change because it's um, inherently commercial. People love comics. They love seeing these adventures. So when you do these stories, it really impacts people. And it, like, totally turned his worldview. And they, like, became best friends. And this man, like, lived with him and co-drew the Blue Lotus with him. And, like, it really pivoted his political access axis, and allowed him a sense of personal evolution um, that, you know, your mileage may vary. Some people might've taken that feedback and been like, fuck you, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. I'm making millions of dollars. And some people can hear it and are like, oh, you're right. What I'm doing needs to be improved. And you can see the, the pivot from that book to everything else that he did, granted, he did some other dumb shit over the course of his life. But I choose to look at the glass half full and say, oh, look what happens when comics connect us together. When when we're at our best, comics can be a form of communication that can bring us together. And even in our faults, provide a sense of connection to build us culturally all towards something better. Um, and maybe that's just my inner, like, Gene Roddenberry Star Trek nerd believing that, like, we're all going <laughs> to get it together. Someday. But, like... I, I, I really take that story as a sense of like, you know, 100 years from now, there, who the fuck knows where our political leanings will be. And there could be things I'm doing right now, like driving a car that uses gas, that is just completely looked at as a barbaric thing to do. And I would hope that there is a world where I can evolve and I can make better choices and figure out the things that I'm doing that aren't so great in the same way that some of the people that I've looked at and admired from the past have and sometimes haven't. Mm-hmm. That was a very long answer, <laughs> a long response to your like, circles are chill, dude. <laughs> I
0: mean, you know, that's good. We love, we love tangents here. So you explaining that just adds more depth to mm-hmm. this overall interview. Yeah. And it also makes me think
2: about when they first brought in Kitty Pride. Um, Well, we talk about the circles, how her eyes were very like. Yeah. Yeah. So that, that makes me think about that. Wow.
1: That's... Yeah. Did Paul Smith co-create her? Who co-created her? Was it Burn? No. Yeah, I think it was Byrne. Burn. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. I think Burn is interesting to me on multiple fronts because <laughs> he's such a specific type of person who has some interesting things in his closet as well. But I think the thing that's interesting to me about the way his creative mind works, like taking the, the human, you know, foibles aside for a second. It's interesting to me that he really can't and doesn't have interest in creating new things. He's really good at fixing old things. Like he's a, he's an amazing almost kind of like classic studio system, Hollywood screenwriter where he can like, you know, like a producer can be like, all right, we got this idea. It's called the fantastic four. And there's like four of them and they've got powers and he can be like, okay, but this is how you really mine the drama from Sue storm and Dr. Doom's relationship to pit them on one side of a discussion against Reed Richards. Or this is how you use Valeria to really, you know, ratchet up the stakes. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think that's really fascinating because you don't really, frankly, there's like people who are really good at creating things who sometimes work in the big two system and they create things for that system because that's the kind of toll road to doing your own thing. Okay, no harm, no foul. And then you have a separate tier of people who are kind of work a day. Maybe they're not necessarily, you know, um, contributing, but they're they can keep the trains running on time. Okay. All right. Nothing wrong with that either. But Byrne is interesting because he is existentially a keeping the trains running on time person, but his level of skill and insight into these things is so much higher that you would think that would translate into him creating interesting works. But frankly, like, Next Men is... I don't know, man. Maybe, Maybe I'm just not seeing it, but, like, Next Men is not that cool to me. Maybe I need to revisit it.
2: Oh um you know that's funny that you bring that up wow because i remember when it came out i was like um all right you know it, it wasn't something that was like let me keep staying with this it was like hmm. but now it makes me want to revisit just to be like
0: what was it that yeah it was like new coke yeah yeah <laughs>
1: yeah 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 dude yeah. Yeah, it's it's. it's, Do you want X Men now with more new Coke? Yeah,
2: and Dave, you bring up a very good point. A lot of people that we grew up with, who were either you know illustrating comics or writing them, they would take things that we just knew and try to keep that going because they didn't want to let it go, even though they're not you know doing that same comic anymore. But you can kind of see like the same elements. Like if they love Scarlet Witch, they will have a Scarlet Witch-like character. You're just like, this is... Yeah. Right.
0: Yeah, so... Not the Rose Art uh, Scarlet Witch.
2: <laughs> well,
0: <laughs>
2: that, you know, everybody has their versions. Um, yeah. In different forms and passions. But back
0: today, back today. <laughs> so, about these two seemingly different stories in this graphic novel, there's sort of like a, a juxtaposition, but after talking about them, there seems to be like a very similar through line. Can you explain that?
1: Yeah. Um so I think there is a mania that is associated with fandom, um, that I I think kind of tracks through the whole book, right? Like there's a There's a, you know what, let me back up and say this. Nostalgia is everywhere right now, right? And the word nostalgia has evolved in its meaning. It used to mean a bittersweet pang of something I know I will never experience again. It used to be, isn't it depressing? I can never eat my mother's, you know, pancakes after she's passed away or whatever. And it was an emotional state that, was not a positive one. Um, It was like bittersweet, wistful. Now, the colloquial evolution, and look, this is not me being angry about this. All language is made up. It's just what we agree these things mean, right? And now nostalgia means it's something I'm familiar with. It's a positive thing. It's something safe. It's something that's not going to hurt me. You know, I wanna go see the new Indiana Jones movie because, man, The nostalgia, dude, hit me right in the nostalgia. I fucking like, like, you know, and I liked the new movie. I didn't think it was as good as some of the others, but I thought it was better than other ones as well. So, you know, it was fun. I understand why these things keep coming back in our cultural memory because the target of nostalgia, it's something safe for executives to greenlight. It's a safe bet to spend 200 million on. And it's more than likely going to pull in more people than if they greenlit a original idea totally understand from a strategic cynical business point of view why these things happen to me we are bordering on the existential heat death of american culture like the fact that i have a deep and abiding passion for something from the 1930s isn't probably a positive thing i think to me, it's cool. I love Superman. He's shaped my existence. For my birthday, I went to fucking Jerry Siegel's grave. Like I love that shit. But where is the new version of that? Where is the the brave new frontier that makes me grumpy? You know what I mean? Like I wanna, I wanna see the TikTok kids being like. We love blank and me being like, that's not cool. That's not the way it should be because that's how culture that's how culture and youth culture specifically should evolve. Right. I look forward to the day when I'm like, I just don't get it. Why are they doing these dances? Like, I don't (laughs) I don't feel that way, but I want to eventually. And the fact that, you know, here in the US, we've basically throttled our, you know, mechanical and mercantile. uh production we don't produce agriculture we don't really export anything in a major state we import from you know american companies going overseas and exploiting borderline slave labor paying pennies pennies on the dollar to manufacture these things in foreign countries and the only thing we've really been exporting for the past you know 30 years 40 years is our culture and now that our culture is not something new it's the same thing we've been trying to export. What does that mean? That, that that doesn't seem like a good thing. And so a lot of the themes in both the comics side and the novel side of the book reckon with people trying to grapple with preconceived notions of what is good and what is bad, um, how to exist in a world where the cultural memory has been throttled. Because um, in the future segments something politically happens and all the, the basically the ownership of physical items has been outlawed so people who collect comics or records or you know movies whatever all of that stuff goes away and in, it starts being sold in these underground uh like swap meets and people who collect those things are called physicalists and they like start these weird physicalist fanzines and they're like you know fucking out here being like i remember howdy doody or whatever and um and i think that there's an interesting conversation there to be had of like existentially who are we when our cultural memory is either forcibly removed or is the same cultural memory as our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents is that a good thing mm. this sounds
0: like a very twisted version of soylent Brain.
1: I think yeah, I think that there is a component and, of that for sure. Yeah. And
0: yeah, you have all this nostalgia. You like Indiana Jones, like so many things that are coming back, there's no um originality. Oh, I'll well, take that back. The originality is drowned out by the um the franchises, if you will.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. And yeah, there's not much U.S. does export aside from insurrection and, um, gun violence. <laughs> so, you know,
1: yeah. And I think I think the interesting thing about it to me is that like I am not even saying that we didn't used to do this. Like, of course, like Indiana Jones is actually a perfect example because Indiana Jones is a rehash remix of. Pulp Cereals, and Doc Savage, right? So it's we're making something new that's going to re-cement these ideas in the cultural landscape off of something old, but it's not literally that thing. Doc Savage is basically just John Carter. John Carter is basically just Alan Quartermain. Alan Quartermain is like, I don't know, something before the 1900s that I'm not aware of. I, I, have to, I don't know where they, what the antecedent of Alan Quartermain is. But you can see that direct lineage of Alan Quartermain, John Carter of Mars, and then... Uh, fucking Doc Savage, and then, you know, they literally, like, recreate the James Bama ripped shirt for Doc Savage in Temple of Doom. Like, it's not subtle mm-hmm. that Indiana Jones is Doc Savage, right? But I think that there's, in that cultural reset or in that, like, cultural reboot remixing where, okay, we're going to have a clean slate break from the thing that's influencing us and the thing we're making, you can... You can hardwire that DNA to better fit the time. John Carter of Mars is a deeply racist story where Edgar Rice Burroughs was a white supremacist who was claiming that even on an alien world like Mars, a white man would ascend to the pinnacle of society. And then that got filtered out a little bit with Doc Savage, where it's now not expressly the white man, it's just... Clark Savage Jr.'s dad is like, you know what? We're going to raise you on this island by yourself to be the peak human. You are going to be the best person that's ever been. You just happen to be a white dude, but you are going to be the peak human that's ever been. And then that idea gets filtered out even more with Doc uh, Indiana Jones, where it's like, he's a flawed person. He fucks up. He almost doesn't win every time. But you're thrilled by the adventure because he is so flawed and almost doesn't succeed and those there's still a lot of racist stuff involved because it's adventure comics so there just is racism involved but there's an interesting dialogue about you can see people trying to fix the thing and soldering together like he's an he's a professor he likes books and like he's not gonna sell these relics for money it's not fully colonialism (laughs) It's museum colonialism.
0: <laughs> right, tomato tomato.
1: Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> you know, and I but I think there's a there's an interesting DNA and a dialogue there in between the pieces of media that are created, the people who create them, and also the cultural milieu at the time that spawned or allowed all of this to happen, right? And if you look at that as the slow arc of history. It seems like we were probably going in the right direction. We went from literal white supremacist to just like, yeah, I don't know that we should like make fun of other cultures for like eating monkey brain. Like that feels weird in Temple of Doom when they're doing that, you know?
2: Very true. Very true. Wow. Um, Now, after reading uh, Mary Tyler Mohawk, I have to wonder, is there more? That we will see of her it would because you can't just again everybody y'all have to get this book you can give us what you gave us and then that's it now and and that goes with a lot of us like we got to keep the story going forever ever but do you think there are more stories that we will
1: see i think there could be yeah i think frankly i think it'll depend on how the book is received mm-hmm. you know uh if it if it does well then yeah i would love to do more this was a fucking pain in the ass to make took me fucking forever <laughs> but you know now that i've now that i've completed it i'm i've forgotten all of that right i've got like boxer memory where i'm just like it wasn't that hard i could <laughs> do it again put me in i've still got a i've still got some fight in me you know there's something in the basement you know i'm like rocky <laughs> it's like rocky seven and i'm like i can still do it i'm 92 <laughs> right <And> like <laughs> but also you know, look- I, w- I would
2: Oh, no, go ahead, go ahead.
1: I was gonna say I would love to do it. Uh I think it would be really fun. I think the more likely expectation is that she'll probably show up in one of my other books first, mm-hmm. unless this book just does amazingly well. And then yeah, I would love to. Yeah.
2: Okay. Because I'm curious about the other the the somewhat side story. I kind of want like, okay, what happens as we are, you know, and again, not spoiling anything. What what what's could that continue in, in the
1: way? I think I think uh, eagle-eyed readers, there is, they're not necessarily a conclusive answer, but there is a definite thing in the book. It was multiple things, but there's a specific thing towards the end of the book that like explains where things would go uh and have gone maybe who knows who can say i don't know
2: mm-hmm. yeah, and i and i know and i am i'm, I'm kind of laughing in my head about you talk about other characters because i noticed that in the as we talk about different story lines um one of your characters from your other book it does kind of show up but will show up and i'm very mm-hmm. curious I, I love that name halloween boy and i was like Oh okay all right I, I see this the bringing in of the others so that's why i'm very curious to see what happens and i'm i'll be very honest i'm i i'm curious about halloween boy so i will be purchasing that because i was like okay i'm this is sparking my interest here but when you, when that was mentioned i was like okay i can see that
1: yeah can- halloween boy uh halloween boy is the thing I've been like self-publishing for the past year because it basically was like I signed the deal with Top Shelf and then Mm -hmm. I had a year and I was like well, what am I gonna do I'm not gonna sit here and wait for the book to come out so I guess I'll start something else and he had you know there was a couple references and there's you know he's in the fake TV in the in the TV show he's like the guest star of an episode and then there's some stuff about him uh, and there's a couple drawings of him in the book. And I was like, oh, maybe I'll make a book out of him. But what is it, though? What 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 would the book be? And then I remembered that a couple years ago, I was in talks with King Features, the people who control the rights to the Phantom, to get the rights to the Phantom. And they were like, oh, this, yeah, these ideas you have look pretty cool. What do you want to do? And I kind of pitched to them, like, I want to do the story about, like, a way, way, way des- descendant Phantom who has, like, context laundered his family history away. Like, he doesn't understand what happened. He doesn't understand the weird racism that fucking, you know, the, the, the inherent, like, it's about a white guy who goes to Africa. <laughs> like, come on, this is not cool, right? And I want to do a story about somebody discovering that and trying to rectify that and make amends for that, you know, mm-hmm. cultural legacy that is so damaging. And I said that to them and they were like, "Mm, I don't (laughs) think so. (laughs) But I had already done all this developmental work. I had like a whole pitch Bible about this guy discovering like that he, you know, is a member of this organization that helps people in impossible situations. And he um, is doing all of this good, but that the foundation of all of this is just inherently vile. Um, and so then I was like, well, I guess maybe I just change the name from The Phantom to something else spooky. And I'll just kind of tell my story that way.
2: Hmm. Yeah, well, yeah, I will be. I, I am very interested in Halloween Boy, so I, I was glad to see possibly more. that could Yeah, of-
1: yeah, there's a bunch of characters from Mary Tyler Moorhawk that show up in uh, Halloween Boy. Dree Blazenby, the guy with the heads for hands. Shows up multiple times, um, uh, and some other cameos that I won't spoil. But yeah, there's there's a bunch of my silly, goofy, you know, silver agey, dorky characters that show up.
0: So there's a lot of science fiction and fantasy themes throughout your book um, and other uh, work pieces of work. Is this your wheelhouse? And if it isn't, which are and also what are other genres of storytelling that you would like to pursue
1: i i feel like my the my body of work is kind of divided in half where like half of it is kind of genre oriented um and it's usually like big genre or science fiction ideas that are really just an excuse for me to talk about interpersonal you know depression whatever you know and then the other half are more kind of slice of life dramas. Primarily the stuff I do with Nicole. Um, we our book that got published by Simon and Schuster, Forest Hills Bootleg Society, it's just about a bunch of like bullied teenage girls who start a anime distribution ring in their high school. Like it's not, um, it's not as high concept in that there's no robots. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's no there's no lasers or whatever. Um, and frankly, I think I do have a love for a lot of this genre material which I think is evident from our conversation. But I think I, um, I would probably prefer to just write stories about people, but I can't draw that well. So I got to draw the like dinosaurs and robot arms and, you know, laser swords to like work as metaphor. And then it's they're like, to me, they're all about the same thing. Like they're all about, you know, navigating the gap between being a kid and an adult, sorting out intergenerational trauma, trying to be a good person, and trying to leave the world a slightly better place than you know when you found it um it's just some of those some of those emotional catharsis for the characters show up in like fist fights on the top of a volcano and some of them show up in like tearful slumber parties senior year of high school
2: So it seems as you were talking through some, a lot of the the work that you do is like in the sci-fi fantasy genre. And it feels like that's something that you really, really love. Um, is that, can you talk about what inspires you? What has, you can mention some artists and, and creators, but can you talk about like what has been inspiring you? Came to talk today again. Inspiring you as well as like what got you into comics and what makes you want to really, really be in the industry moving forward.
1: Yeah. Um, So the the thing that got me into comics was I was like four years old, went to the library because I was obsessed with Hardy Boys and Nancy Drew and a librarian gave my mom Tintin and it just blew my mind. I was like, Tintin, this is the fucking thing here. Um, And I've basically been making comics ever since. Um, You know, people I like. uh, I love the work of Jillian Tamaki and... Sophie Campbell and Erje, Katsuhiro Otomo, Shitaro Ishinomori, Jeff Darrow, um, uh, Tilly Walden, um, Rosemary Valera O'Connell. Yeah, I don't know. There's like a, like I said, it's like 50-50. Half of it is all the genre stuff and half of it is like sad slice of life stuff.
0: so I mean that's it's really interesting, and we're coming up on the, the end of our um, interview. A couple of things left. Since we, since this is a, a geek-inspired podcast, and we, I can infer that you are a geek. What are other things aside from comics that you geek out about?
1: uh lots of stuff uh old hollywood i love you know the history of hollywood um right now i'm reading a book called hollywood gothic by david j Scal, which is the story of how dracula was first brought to the screen and uh adapted to a play first and then the play was adapted into the movie mm-hmm. uh i'm a huge trek person love star trek so um i've worked on some of the star trek comics and uh uh, recently i just uh mainlined uh because i've seen all of star trek so many times why would you just stay in the officially licensed pond when you can go and watch the fan films so i watched <laughs> all of star trek new voyages which is james collie's star trek series if you don't know james collie is an elvis impersonator who is not married and doesn't have any kids so he took all of his money that he made as an elvis impersonator and built a set of the enterprise and has been making fan films on them for like a decade. Like he plays Kirk and then he has fucking Walter Koenig shows up in an episode. Like they make, they just make star Trek It's full mm-hmm. episodes of the show. The, the score is exactly the same V effects done with CGI. And then all of the interiors they shoot on his sets and uh, George Takei was in an episode. Um, it's so crazy. Like, it just is Star mm-hmm. Trek. And it's really well, it's it just tries to be Star Trek. It, it it falls short a couple times, but it's it's very interesting to see their version of things kind of evolve over the 15 years that they made it before Paramount said, mm, maybe not, guys. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm a but I'm a you know, I don't think it's gonna come as a shock. I'm a huge genre nerd and I love film and uh I read a lot of weird novels and shit. You know, same as everybody else. Nothing, nothing too crazy. I wish, like you, that I could play video games, but that shit just takes too much time. <laughs> oh,
0: you telling me right now, damn. Um, and our final. Should I start? Question. Should
1: I start? Should I start? If I, if I, should should we play Overwatch together? Is this how it's going to happen? That I need to, I need to start I, I, I this.
0: Think, okay, so I would uh venture not to start with Overwatch. Um, if you are, like, brand new to games, like, brand fucking spanking new, I would do, like, some uh, interactive narrative games, like um, oh, uh, like the, the, the Walking Dead series from Telltale, uh, yeah. or uh, Life is Strange, or Heavy Rain, or Erica, or um, something like that to, you know, test the waters a little bit. Um, and if you like those okay that's a a genre that you like we will go to something more a little bit more action like um like uncharted uh that series or a god the god of war series um and go from there
1: gotcha okay all right all right thank you you've saved me (laughs) you saved me i won't get addicted
0: exactly uh, like uh, it's hard it's hard not to but that's i guess since i've been playing since like the atari yeah. Right. I, yeah. It's it, written in
1: my DNA.
2: But I also noticed in your background, um, you are a horror fan because I see the Evil Dead. You know, that's you know the classic can
1: you tell that can you tell that that's what that is? Let's see if I if I put my but hand. I on tell.
2: But I I'm I'm <laughs> a, so anything horror I can actually see. And it's funny as you talk about like Hollywood stuff, like I'm obsessed with LA, like the thrillers of LA when the movies they used to make back in the late 70s, 80s about like the gritty life of Los Angeles and living here. It's different, I'm, I'm up in Tennessee. So it's gr- it's weird to like watch movies like Vice Squad and Angel all about what LA is. And I'm here, I'm like, oh, okay. Um, yeah. But I'm also like that when it comes to like stories about Hollywood and old film and the crazy things that they used to make, they no longer make, but they could come back, who knows. But yeah. I, I find very interesting. So, I,
1: can you tell what? Can you tell what this is? I probably would not be able to tell just from the censor. I I don't know that I would know that this poster that's censored would be a uh, uh, Evil Dead. I don't know that I would. Be, so, I'm very impressed that you got this. Can you <laughs> tell what that one is?
2: I don't. It feels like is that Texas Chainsaw?
1: No, it's it's a. Uh, I wonder if I can take this thing off. How do I take the fucking? Yeah, actually, what I might be able to see
2: from that weirdness
1: of oh 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 well
2: that's I, I, that's christopher lee right
1: yeah look at that. that was a good call yeah it was it's uh it's uh still from um taste the blood of dracula
2: oh okay i just got my partner um the house of wax the the, the... oh yeah the vincent uh Price. Yeah, and as you can see back here, he he's a fan of stuff like that. There's Stepford Wives back there.
1: Yeah, I was about to ask, is that your Stepford Wives? Like, are you a big Stepford Wives person?
2: I am. He really is. Now, in my apartment, my one of my big ones is the eyes of Laura Mars, because I just like... Oh, wow. So I have one yeah. of your original um, posters of that. That's in my... So if I do this from my apartment or his apartment, there you will see the eyes of Laura Mars. And it freaks out my neighbors, because... It's just that picture of her eyes. If you ever seen the movie poster of that, oh, yeah. so when the blinds are open, it does kind of glow ish, and I have freaked out my neighbors a little <laughs> about that. But I'm like, it is what it is.
1: <laughs> I love I love Faye Dunaway, and like you know, it's an early John Carpenter movie. I think yeah. he said in an interview once that he wrote that movie in like two weeks. They gave I, him like four months to write the draft, but he didn't do it. And then in the first like the two weeks before it was due, he was like, "Fuck it." I tell yeah, people totally.
2: that you have to watch the movie, it's 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 camp, but it is one of those movies where you're just like, okay, that was, it's kind of fun, it's kind of fun, it's kind of weird, it's, and you're right, yeah, it's John Carpenter's type of work, and it's funny that it, that it was, I think, somewhat, you know, hoped that it was Barbara Streisand to play the role, because the guy was dating Barbara Streisand at the time and it was supposed to be her, not Faye Dunaway. So I'm like, wow, that's such an interesting. Like, how would that have been if it was Barbara Streisand?
1: I, I mean personally, I just love Faye Dunaway. Like, I love her her aura, her bigger than life, like dr- yeah. the dramatics yeah, I, of her personality is just uh-huh. so great to me. And of yeah. course, Streisand also has that now, but at that point it didn't come through in the film as much. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, like, did you ever see, I'm assuming you have, but did you ever see the Supergirl movie with Faye Dunaway?
2: Oh, who, I mean, I have, who has, I mean, to me, who, ha, you have to have seen
1: that. You have to I, see I, I, I love that movie. I, <laughs> I know that it's bad, but I love that movie.
2: Yes. I, I recently just talked to, and I met Helen Slater, she came to, I'm I'm educated, so she came to our school. And I was uh really happy and, and it was fascinating to see how many students Gen Z, but the queer students were like falling to their knees of, to her about that movie. And she was stunned. She was just like, What? I'm like, Yes, that for what it is, it it gives you everything you will want. Faye Dunway in that movie
1: is. A lot.
2: (laughs) It's a lot. You have not. But the thing
0: that's
1: so the thing that's so great about that movie though is that you have her like massive personality, and then you also have Helen Slater, who's kind of ethereal and also, look, I love Helen Slater, but she's at that point in time was like her first role. She's like nineteen. She kind of looks confused and like existentially like she doesn't know what she's supposed to be doing because she probably didn't because it's fucking she's nineteen. Yeah, and like. Her acting is a little wooden, but it kind of plays because she seems like almost like she's like lost in a lot of it, which really makes the film feel kind of forlorn in certain ways, which I really like. Um, And it's like, you know, the the cell kinds they're they just spent so much money on those movies and you can see it. But at the same time, you're kind of like, I don't know that this movie needed to cost this much. Like, I don't know.
0: (laughs)
2: these uh, these are cla- i mean what Faye has given us is amazing i know nick you were i don't know if you watched Eyes of Lower Mars yet but i have not no you have to make a make a night of just get a glass of wine and an edible mm-hmm. and just watch it oh, yeah, a- <laughs> it gives you everything you need i always tell people mm-hmm. it's the, one of the to me it's like as a queer person who loves horror and thrillers if you have not watched that movie, you're not you're not a real person. You have to watch that movie. Um, just because it is it gives you all the things, even a disco death scene-ish thing with fashion. So I'm oh just Lord. saying
0: fashion of fame. What is it? Yes.
2: yes, I actually I posted that scene alone on Twitter because I'm like, it gives you everything you need at that moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I remember there was an MTV animated show. They would have like animated shorts, but they took that that song from that scene, played it backwards for uh, a scene that they used, which was kind of freakish, but it worked. So anyway, me on a tangent, back on track. You have to have watch, you have to watch that movie. Okay. <laughs> I guess, I don't even know what we, how
0: do, what
1: do we talking about? Uh, okay, yeah. Oh. Can I tell you, can I tell you one story and then we can leave the Superman thing alone forever?
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: Forever ago, you know, so the movie, the Superman movies are produced by the Salkinds, right? His father and son team, Ilya Salkind was the younger one, right? I think, I think he's the younger one. I don't know. For whatever reason, I went through a period, maybe like 10 years ago when Facebook was relevant, where I just went and like friend requested a bunch of fucking people that were like, air quotes, real people, just to see if they would approve. Like, you want to be friends with me? Let's see what happens. And Ilya Salkind approved my friend request. Oh, wow. So I would get all these weird posts. Like, I don't think he really knew how to use the internet. Um, (laughs) And I I sent him a message at one point because I had a Kickstarter that was funding or whatever. And I was like, hey, big Superman fan. We've been friends on here for a couple of years. I thought I would just show you what I'm up to. This is who I am. And this is what the project is. And he sent me back a Facebook message and we talked for like 15 minutes and the whole thing he was just like it was like exactly how he talks in the director's commentaries on those Superman DVDs where it's like kind of broken English. He doesn't really seem like he knows what he's talking about most of the time like like in that director's commentary for Superman 4 he gets really upset that people were making fun of the fact or no, or Superman 3 where the stoplight you know stop and walk symbols start fighting each other like the red man and the green man start like kicking and punching each other and he like goes off on his whole tangent in that director's commentary of like 10 minutes about like it could happen it could happen they could fight we don't know we don't know and like interacting with him on facebook messenger was exactly that he would ask me like really strange non-sequitur questions i would answer them and then it seemed like he was getting frustrating because i frustrated because i wasn't answering in the way that he wanted or something i don't know it, it was like top <laughs> 10 experiences of my life the fact that i like and just sitting there and i know that Ilya salkind is in his weird mansion somewhere in the palisades like on his phone texting me being grumpy is like this is the greatest experience ever
0: <laughs> that is oh my god that because of the grandchildren
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't believe it. One time I DM'd with Ilya salkine Who
0: is that? Who right. is Ilya salkine.
1: He was the guy who was the son of the producer of the Superman.
2: Right. That that is something else. But the that funny is thing is, again, I, I work with uh film students, so I could imagine some of them geeking out. That you did that, and would love to trade places with you, doing that. So yeah. that, that's a good story.
0: <laughs> so our last question: What upcoming projects do you have uh, coming down the pipeline that you can let our listeners know about?
1: Uh, so. February 13th or 14th maybe 13th or 14th I don't remember whatever that Wednesday is in February 13 14 um Mary Tyler Moorhawk comes out in bookstores everywhere very excited about it and then after that um I'm going to be writing a teenage mutant turtles short story which hasn't or I I have written it but it hasn't been publicly announced yet and uh another book which also hasn't been announced which I can't say which is not a good answer I know it's not fun But that one I'll actually get in trouble if I talk about. Uh, So the real answer is just MTMH, February 13, comic stores or bookstores. Mary Tyler Moorhawk. I shouldn't use the abbreviation because if you haven't read it, you might not know. You might not know. So Mary Tyler Moorhawk, February 13.
0: Excellent. And where can everybody find you online um, around the internet? Halloween. uh
1: you can find me you can find me on all the socials at xdavebakerx or on my website at heydavebaker.com, which is where you can order copies of all my books and or specifically Halloween boy because that one is self-published currently
0: excellent excellent and you can find us all over the internet we are at magazine one uh if you would like to follow our Private socials. I'm at uh, what Porter say. at Five. You can like, rate, subscribe to the podcast everywhere. Uh, SoundCloud, Apple. I think Google Play is going away. Um, I think Stitcher is gone. Spotify is still around. I'll have to update that Leo, But uh, wherever you download podcasts, where you can find us. Um, let's see. Victor, is there anything else? before we get up out of here? No, I have to say again, well, first of all, thank
2: you, Dave, for coming on here and talking with us and just sharing a lot of your wisdom um, and having fun with us today. And if y'all get a chance, please check out Mary Tyler Moorhawk. It is a book of books, um, especially if you're looking for something that is going to give you something fresh in the, in the overall comic world. This is something I feel like this it was fun for me. I was very happy to read this and look over it again and then go back and look at it because you you just can't go through it once. You have to go right. through it. So I am very excited for you and this book. Um I can't wait to see you. I'll probably ask you to sign it because I'm I'm that person. And, <laughs> and again, you know, y'all, if you get a chance, please get this
0: book. All right. Well, in that case, everybody comes out next month, next Wednesday, 13th or 14th, whatever that day is. Um, And we will see y'all next episode.